Hey, thanks for joining us here at the Vineyard Church Podcast. For more video messages and content, make sure to visit our website, vineyardwheeling.com, or download our app. There's a lot of great resources there that are free and will help you grow closer to God and help you connect with the church. Right now, let's go to our lead pastor, Chris Figueretti, for this week's message. Good morning, Vineyard. How are you? Happy New Year. Good to see you. I am so excited about 2021. We're going to get Chick-fil-A, so that's pretty, pretty exciting. I have an announcement to make, though, uh, and I can't wait to share this with you. We, uh, if you've been around the vineyard for any length of time, you've probably heard of or met Chris Dew. He was here in September. Chris is an amazing young man. Let's hear it for Chris. He's a, a dear friend of mine, a friend of our church. Uh, we've been friends for five or six years now. He's been here to speak two or three times. He was here in September. If you don't know Chris's story, Chris was a heroin addict uh, who overcame that through following Jesus. And uh, he speaks all over the country uh, and uh, is an amazing, amazing young man, amazing friend. Anyway, as he was speaking in September, I was standing off here on, in the wings, and I just had this crazy idea. And so when he came off, I said, Chris, I just had a crazy idea. Don't even know if it's a good idea. But would you consider joining our teaching t- team as an adjunct faculty member, maybe come in six, ten times a year or something, and just be part of our teaching team? And he said, I've never really thought about that before. He said, that sounds really interesting. So long story short, he's going to do it. And in fact, in two weeks, in two weeks, Chris will be here. He's not moving to Wheeling. He's going to come in and out of, out of town. He lives in South Carolina. He's going to come into town in two weeks. He's going to preach as part of our Overcomer series. Uh, and then uh, eight times throughout the year for 2020. And it's just, uh, we really felt like, man, Chris, there are so many people in our community who can relate to your story and need to connect with connect with you and we just need somebody to walk through how do we address this issue of addiction in our community because it's such a big issue here and he's going to help us with that too. So we're really excited about that and when you see Chris in two weeks give him a hug and give him a round of applause and we're just excited to have Chris as part of our team this year. So that's the big announcement. Well um, it's the new year 2020 and as we go into uh, new years what, what a lot of people do is they make what? New year's Resolutions. I don't do that anymore. Has anybody outgrown New Year's resolutions? Has anybody found that they don't work? According to Bodybuilder Magazine, 73% of exercise-oriented, which I read all the time, you can see. I'm, um, <laughs> exercise-oriented uh, New Year's resolutions don't last. 73%. I think from the other articles that I've read that that's by January, actually, because by May and June, nobody's going to the gym anymore. It just doesn't work. And I, I know personally I've set goals and, uh, and I'm, I'm not against goals, I'm for goals, but so often I just don't get there. Like one of the goals that I have is to walk every day, to get outside and walk every day. And in fact, a year ago we moved out to the, the woods and we've got trails around our house. You know how many times I've walked out in the woods around my house in the last, yeah, less than, less than that many times probably. And, and it's like, man, that's a goal. I feel better when I do that. I'm healthier. I'm getting healthy. You know, my body's getting healthier. All that. My mind's clear. And I don't do it. Anybody relate? Yeah, right. All right. So good. I'm glad that we're being honest this morning. <laughs> um, you know, and, and we add to that, we add to that um, that every one of us goes through li- or periods in our lives where like it happens, you know what I'm talking about, it happens, you know, something tragic happens, we fail at something we thought we were going to succeed at, uh, or family members going through something really difficult, something happens and it's like, man, we, we, 
we go and we go and we wonder what else could go wrong and then it does. Anybody ever been there? I've been there. Absolutely, emotionally at the bottom. And then you add to that where our culture is today. Where our culture is today, in some ways, I don't know that, that we've ever been here as, as, as a society before, but, but this is the culture that has given us therapy dogs, right? Now, I'm not against therapy dogs. I have a Labradoodle named Gus who I snuggle with, and I feel better when I snuggle with Gus. I pet him on the head, and I'm like, oh, endorphins, that's good. Um, I'm not against therapy dogs, but, but that's kind of, a, kind of a new thing. And in, in major cities, you can actually call up a puppy Uber. Have you heard of this? You, you can call it like the businesses will call in the puppies and somebody brings them in an Uber and they show up and they bring them into the workplace and everybody just stops working and plays with the puppies for a little while and they feel better and then they can go back to work and, and be more productive. This is the society that we live in. All right, we've, in, in 2016, after the election, schools canceled classes because the students were so emotionally distraught about the outcome of the election. I mean, exams were canceled at that point. That's never happened before, regardless of who was elected. Our, our, our culture is in an interesting place. This, this, is, this is the era of safe spaces. I don't want anybody to... To, to suggest something that I don't agree with, I just want to hear the ideas that support what I already believe, it's, and that's safe. Because if you give me ideas that I don't agree with, then that, that could be an aggression, you know, and, 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 and that could make me feel bad, and I don't want to feel bad. And so we live in the era of safe spaces. It's kind of strange the way we're, we're handling adversity these days. We're not doing terribly well. You know, there's a lot that has been written about the the millennial generation and now Generation Z, and we're going to start hearing more and more about Generation Z and less and less about the millennials, but that's just kind of where we are. We're in that transition. But the young among us, they are a representation of where our culture is going, right? And, and, and that's pretty scary because the leading cause of death now for people, for teenagers, is suicide. The leading cause of death for people between 18 and 30 years old is suicide. We are not dealing with adversity well. We've, we've lost our grit as a people in some very real ways. And I still love my puppy. I just want to be clear about that. I'm not, but, I mean, it's like, wow. And so as we were preparing for 2020, I thought, man, we have got to talk about what we do when it happens, how we weather storms, how we not just come through adversity, but thrive through adversity and come out on top on the other, other side. And so that's what we're going to talk about over the next four weeks in this series. And we're going to look at the life of Joseph. Now, I'm not talking Joseph like Mary, Joseph, and Jesus. This is Joseph from the Old Testament. Joseph, who he, was, he lived 1,700 years before Jesus was born. He's the son of a guy named Jacob. God has this relationship with Jacob and renames Jacob, gives him a, a nickname called Israel. This is where the nation of Israel gets its name. It all goes back to this guy Jacob. And the 12 tribes of Israel get their names from his 12 sons. One of his sons is Joseph. And that's who we're going to look at today because Joseph starts off not so well, goes through a great deal of adversity, and comes out on the other end on top. Comes out as the second most influential, powerful person on the face of the planet, actually. But he goes through a ton of adversity between there 
and there. And we, there's so much that we're going to learn from Joseph over the next couple of weeks. I can't wait. And we're going to do a little bit of an overview today. So if you brought your Bibles or you have a device, you can turn to Genesis chapter 37. We're going to be between 37 and 50. That's where you'll find this story if you want to go back and read it later. Um, and Joseph is one of Jacob's youngest sons. He's his favorite son, as, you will, as you're about to see. And Joseph has a problem. He has, a, he has a pride problem, and his pride problem gets him into all kinds of trouble. In Genesis 37, verse 2, this is what it says. Joseph, a young man of 17, so he's just a, just a teenager, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And he brought their father a bad report about them. Joseph is a tattletale. Joseph is like... They aren't doing it right. See, this is the, I mean, a sure sign of a pride problem is you're a tattletale. Tattletales can see everything that everybody else is doing wrong. They wouldn't do it that way. But that's not enough. He needs to make sure that that's known to the people in authority over him. So he's making sure that his dad knows that his brothers aren't doing it well enough. He says, now Israel, or Jacob, loved Joseph more than any of his other sons. Because he had been born to him in his old age. And he made him an ornate robe. Or he made an ornate robe for him. So, you know, you may or may not have a favorite child. I hope you don't. You might. But you never let anybody know, right? I mean, the number one rule of favorite children is you don't let anybody know you have a favorite child. That never ends well. Well, Jacob hasn't learned that rule yet. And Jacob loves Joseph and shows Joseph great favor. Uh, He gives him this this ornate robe, it's been called the coat of many colors because it's believed that there were lots of colors in it. And that was pretty special in those days. That was pretty extravagant. Like if you went to Walmart to pick out clothes, there were three colors, white, off-white, and beige. You know, and that's, that's what the rest of the boys got. The 11, other 11 brothers, they got the $30 Walmart off-white coat. And he takes Jacob to a boutique where they have, they have to dye the wool and, and, and sew this thing together. And he gets the $1,500 custom robe of many colors. It was, it was extravagant. And Joseph flaunts this thing in his brother's faces because one of the problems with pride and arrogance is that you can't see it in yourself. And you can't see the impact that you're having on people around you. It's very dangerous. It's a blind spot. And so he flaunted it, and his brothers grew to hate him for it. They were just like, oh, and it grew and seethed and boiled and and turned into something pretty significantly bad. It says in verse 4, when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a word to him in kindness. To add to that, Joseph is full of himself. I mean... He's already got all, I've got the code, i got dad's favor, I'm, a, you know, I'm great. He has this dream, he has two dreams actually, one about sheaves of wheat, which um, they would cut grain and they would bundle it up and that bundle was called a sheave and that's how they would collect the grain in their day. And, and so he had a dream about wheat or, or grain, sheaves, and he had a dream about stars. They both meant the same thing, they were both obvious, anybody with any sense of self-awareness and without the blind spot of pride and ego, would have been able to go, yeah, I don't think that's going to be a good thing to share. But Joseph didn't really pick up on that. And he tells the dream to his brothers. He says, Joseph had a dream. And when he told his brothers, they hated him all the more. 
He said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. Hmm, where's this going? His brothers said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. And this hate boils over into, a, into murder, really. That's what, where they go in their hearts. They, they, they want to take him out and they, they conceive of this plot to take him out. And Joseph one day is, is uh, coming from the house out to the fields where his brothers are tending the sheep. And as he's approaching, in verse 19, they say this, here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. And then we'll see what comes of his dreams. Let's kill him. They have it's given birth to, to, to a murderous plot. Now one of the brothers, Reuben, stands up and is like, whoa, guys, 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 guys. We do not want his blood on our hands. Let's just... Let's just beat him up and throw him into a pit. That's probably better. So that's what they do. They beat him up, they throw him into a pit, and they're talk, sitting, sitting around talk, talking, trying to figure out what they can do with him. And along comes some slave traders on their way to Egypt. And they're like, let's sell him into slavery in Egypt. He'll never come back. Perfect. And so they do. And they take his coat, uh, his robe, and they, they put blood on it, and they take it back to his father and say, look, he was attacked by a wild animal, and he died, and... There is no more Joseph, and the problem is solved, and Joseph is gone, and they didn't murder him, and somehow that makes them better. I, I, anyway, it, it, it's, a bad, it's a bad situation. See, Joseph's pride lands him in bad places. And here's what I would suggest to you, and you probably, if you have a pride issue, you probably don't know it at the moment, because it's a blind spot. But if you do, it will land you in bad places. It always does. It always does. Now, Joseph ends up overcoming a bunch of obstacles. I mean, he is abandoned and abused and beaten by his brothers. He's thrown into a pit. He's sold into slavery. He's falsely accused of being a sexual predator. Falsely. But he ends up in prison for what scholars believe is probably around 10 years with no hope of ever getting out. When he does get out, he ends up in a culture that is completely different from the one he grew up in, and he spends the rest of his life there. He has everything stacked against him and a lot of really negative experiences. And somehow he comes out on top, and he becomes the pharaoh, the leader of, of Egypt, and really the leader of the world, his second in command. How does he do that? How do you end up there from here? And that's what we're going to look at in this series. You know, I, I was going to call this series, I, the initial plan was to call it, uh, I wasn't going to say, you know, it happens. I was just going to use, ex, you know, exclamation points and stuff, happens. Uh, and, then, and then I said, no, 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 that's too, that's, that's, somebody might be offended. Let's just do the smiley face poopy emoji, emoji happens. And then Matt, Matt, our worship arts director, was like, Chris, we're unveiling this at Christmas Eve. Let's call it Overcomer. I was like, perfect. That's what we'll call it, Overcomer. So, um, but really, crap happens. What now? What do you do? Because here's what I know is true for every single person within the sound of my voice. You will face adversity. You are going to face disappointments, your own failures, other people's failures, diagnoses, 
difficulties in other people's, in the people you love and their, in their lives, you're going to face tough stuff. And for sometimes it's going to be for an extended period of time. And how do you do that well? How do you do that without imploding? Because I believe if you will, and if you do, and if you learn the lessons that God is teaching you in the midst of those things, you will come out like Joseph on the other side. Probably not the second most powerful person in the world, but fully in God's plan for your life. And that's where you want to be. So what can we learn from Joseph? Well, I think we can learn this. Pride comes before the fall. We know that. It's a blind spot. You won't see it coming. Pride will bring you down. Humility will overcome them all. Whatever situation you find yourself in, whatever disappointment or failure you find yourself in, the way out is humility. And I'm going to show you how that works here in a minute. But pride will blind you. You can't see it coming. When you're prideful, you can't be wrong. Listen to yourself when people point something out in your life. Are you defensive or do you listen? Are you able to be wrong or do you need to be right? That would be an indication. And, And the thing about pride and ego is that our ego, when we're prideful, our egos are very fragile. When we get knocked down by life, people with a pride issue tend to have a really hard time getting back up again because like everything spirals, it's like I'm the center of the universe. What do you mean God's not making everything great for me? And we forget that there's 7 billion other people on the planet and God is writing the stories of all of us and he might even use the difficult thing you're going through right now to help somebody else down the road and you need to go through that so that you can become who you need to be and so you can have the street cred that you need to have to be able to help somebody else who will be going through that later. But you're just like, well, God, I mean, how could God let this happen to me? And we sit and we sulk instead of growing in the midst of it. And we doubt God. You know, I've seen people with pride problems get knocked down and have a really hard time getting up again. When I, back in uh, 1994, my wife, Christy, who was just a friend at that point in time, and two other folks, we were absolutely certain that God had called us to start a Christian wilderness adventure ministry in West Virginia. And I still to this day believe that he did. And we moved back here. We were young, and we moved back in, um, in 94, and we started working on this. And for six years, we took people on trips. We lived in basements, closets. Uh, addicts, we ate a lot of ramen noodles, we worked part-time jobs or temporary jobs to just kind of fund our wilderness adventure habit and, and, and after six years of pouring our lives into this, we had to close it. And we shut it down because it was just, it was, it was not going to happen. We could not, could not get the funding we needed to do it the way it needed to be done and we closed it down. And I just remember back then being so disappointed because I was sure that God had spoken. This is what you're supposed to do. I mean, I rearranged my life for six years, along with three other people. And you know, like I said to this day, I'm sure that we were doing what God had asked us to do, but it wasn't about the success of that ministry or the success, our own success. It was about being faithful in what God wanted us to do in that season. And God used that to get our lives to where they needed to be, he, got, he used that to touch people along the way. And I had to wrestle through my pride. You know, this happens to everybody. And let's get on with life. 
I, I love, uh, if you've not read Bob Goff's books, Bob Goff is a, is a Christian author. He's written Love Does and Everybody Always, two of my favorite books ever. Um, and in, in them, one of them, I can't remember which one, he talks about how when he was a little kid, he was, uh, he was in this play at school, and everybody in, in the school wanted to be one, one of the lead roles. And he ended up getting the role of tree number four. Tree number four had no lines. They held two leaves and stood in the back and just kind of swayed. Tree number four. And, 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 and as he, in a, the masterful way that he does, kind of lays it out, he's like, you know, so much of life, we are tree number four. God has a purpose for us. We're there. But let's embrace whatever it is that he has us. It's not about me. It's about him. And, um, and, and, and yeah, absolutely. Humility will give you, though, the perspective to come through those times when you're disillusioned, disappointed, when you're facing failure, when you're facing tragedy. I know because when you're prideful and it's all about you, you're just going to be like, what, what gives God? But when you can understand your place in the greater picture, man, there's so much freedom there. When cha- chapter 39 Verse 2, we find Joseph, he's, he's sold into slavery to a guy named Potiphar. Potiphar is one of Pharaoh's officials, and he's working diligently for Potiphar. And uh, it says, the Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered, and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. And when his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did. This is fascinating. Joseph hasn't dealt with his pride issue yet. But somehow God is still using him in spite of his pride issue. Do you know that God can do that? I don't think he likes doing it, but he does it. You know, for for religious people especially, like, like religious people, guys, when we get religious, we tend to have a pride blind spot. We don't see it in ourselves. And, And when that happens... God will still use you, but eventually he's going to teach you some humility. It's not how you want to operate. Well, Joseph is is operating in that. And and, and he's not going to know that he has that blind spot until he goes down. And the same thing is often true for us. Until we go down, until we're we're like, oh, and then your whole world crumbles. Your ego is shattered. You don't, don't know how to deal with that. Or... You go down and you realize, oh, this, is hap- this happens to everybody. Let's get on with it. Trust yourself off and be tree number four, right? Now, now, here's the deal. If you have a pride problem, you probably don't know it at this point. And here's what I want to challenge you to do. Don't wait till you get knocked off your high horse. Two things. One, ask yourself honestly, how am I doing in this area? Am I defensive? Am I, do I have to be right? And do what you can, do that, that inner work to, 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 to see. Because the people will say, well, I just have to learn it the hard way. You don't want to learn this the hard way. And you don't have to. Many of us will. But it, it's, it's so hard to look inside and be honest with ourselves. The other thing that I would encourage you to do is ask the people who know you best. Because maybe they're not telling you that you have a pride issue and ask them, do you see this in me? I want to deal with this if it's there and then shut up 
and listen to what they have to say. Powerful stuff. Powerful stuff. Take an honest look. Well, Joseph serves Potiphar very well. Turns out Potiphar is married to Hotifer, and Hotifer wants a little bit of Joseph. All right, her name's really not Hotifer. That's not what it says in the... But, but she's got the hots for this young, um, young slave boy, and she keeps coming on to him and propositioning him, and he keeps saying no and walking away. And finally, she's so offended that she accuses him, falsely accuses him, of raping her. And so her husband, of course, throws Joseph into jail with no prospects of ever getting out. Well, Joseph ends up in jail. And one thing we know about Joseph is that he just keeps, he doesn't give up. Like he doesn't, he doesn't, I mean, I'm sure he had his days where he curled up in a ball on the floor of the prison and just, you know, kill me now, God. I'm sure he had days like that. But he keeps going. And he actually ends up becoming the assistant of the jailer. And uh, he's putting in charge of these two guys. One is the cupbearer, which a cupbearer is a great gig until it's not. The cup, if you don't know what a cupbearer is, the cupbearer drank everything and ate everything the pharaoh would eat before the pharaoh ate or drank it. Because if he died, then the pharaoh wouldn't eat or drink it. He was kind of like the, the uh, assassination buffer. It's a great gig, awesome food, until it's not. But anyway, he was still alive, but for whatever reason, he ends up in jail. And there's another guy, he's a baker, and he ends up in jail. And these guys wake up one morning. They both had one of those dreams the night before. You know, the kind that you can't get out of your mind. It's just so vivid that you're like, you don't forget it in the first few minutes after you wake up. And they're like, this, they, these dreams mean something. And it's bothering them. They're like, no, somebody needs to interpret. What do these dreams mean? And Joseph asks them, what's going on, guys? And they say, well, we both had dreams. They answered, but there's no one to interpret them. Then Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God? Do not interpretations belong to God? Now listen to this. And then he says, so tell me your dreams. In that God's realm, you can talk to me. Me and God, we're, we're right here. Same level. Can you hear the pride? He's not dealt with his pride yet. Well, he goes on to interpret their dreams because God has given Joseph this gift of interpreting dreams. And so he tells the the. The cupbearer, look, here's the deal. You're going to be, get out of jail here soon, and you're going to end up back with your job, and everything's going to go good with you. And to the baker, not so much. You're going to lose your head. And he does, and he's executed. And it goes just like Joseph said. And before the cupbearer leaves, Joseph's like, listen to me. I am in here. This is unjust. I've been falsely accused. I have no hope of ever getting out. You work in the royal court. Talk to somebody. Get me out of here. Tell somebody what's going on. And he's like, oh, yeah, absolutely. And I don't think the cupbearer's all that smart, actually. And he's like, oh, yeah, absolutely. So he leaves and promptly forgets about Joseph. And Joseph rots in jail for another couple of years. Nothing. Not a word. Until the Pharaoh wakes up one morning and has had one of those dreams. And it's, it's like, i got to get an interpretation of his dreams. And he brings all his wise men and, and, and all of his religious people in. He's like, tell me what this means. Nobody can interpret it. And then all of a sudden, the cupbearer, who, I, again, I don't think is all that smart, is like, oh, oh, there was that guy. And so he's like, oh, Mr. Pharaoh, sir, there, there was a guy when I was in, in prison we don't like to talk about that. But when I was, and, and, and he interpreted this dream for me and the baker. And what happened, just like he said, he said, bring him in. So they clean Joseph up and they bring him before the Pharaoh. And, and the Pharaoh is like, Joseph, 
I have heard you're the guy. You can interpret this dream. You need to interpret this for me and tell me what it is. And I want you to listen to the difference between the first set of dreams and this dream to Joseph's response. Genesis 41, 16, he says what? He says, I cannot do it. Somehow, Joseph learned a little bit of humility in the midst of a hopeless situation in prison. I cannot do it, Joseph replied to Pharaoh, but God will give Pharaoh the answers he desires. It's a completely different posture. Now, here's what I know. Some of us feel like we're in prison right now. Maybe you're watching online from prison, you really are. Maybe you are in a job that you hate and you get up every day and you're like, how long am I going to have to keep doing this? Maybe you're in a marriage and, and you're in a season in that marriage and it's struggling and it feels like a prison to you. Maybe you're dealing with bullying at school or online and you're like, I, I just how long is this going to go on? How long is it going to feel this, this hopeless? Maybe you're in the prison of addiction or you're dealing with some other kind of disappointment or failure and you're like, how long? How long am I going to have to endure this? And I don't know. But what I do know is that what you're dealing with is a season. And the way out is humility. The way out is humility. God wants you to learn this lesson. Humility is a lesson God wants you to learn. So learn it as fast as you can. Just know that God is, is trying to teach you something very, very significant. Over and over again through the Bible, we hear that God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Jesus taught that humility wins. He told his disciples, look, you're going to be leaders in my movement when I leave. But don't be a leader the way other people are leaders. The leaders of this world, they lord it over. They've got this pride and ego and everybody serves them. He says, don't be like that. If you want to be great, serve. If you want to be, be first, make yourself last. Humble yourself and God will use you in amazing ways. And see, this is a character trait that God wants every one of us to learn. But sometimes it's Sometimes it's painful. So learn it as quickly as you can. Humility is the key that unlocks the door of greatness. It really is. Now pride says, I got this. Humility says, God has got this. Notice what Joseph says. I cannot do it, Joseph replied to Pharaoh. But God, but God can. It's not me. God's here. At first Joseph was like, me and God. Now Joseph's like, God's here, I'm here. I'm just kind of, you know, I'm along for the ride. I'm tree number four. You know, humility, a humble posture in our lives looks like I need God. Not me, but God. And it also looks like I need others because so often God speaks to us through other people, through community. Community is powerful, powerful stuff. In uh, Proverbs 13.10, it says, where there is strife, there is pride. Yeah. But 
Wisdom is found in those who take advice. Those who are humble enough to know that they don't have everything it takes. They don't know everything there is to know. That other people around them have probably maybe even God's direction to speak into their life. See, when you think you're the smartest person in the world or in the room, you're the dumbest. Humility acknowledges I need other people. Guys, as, as we prepare uh, for life groups here in the next couple of weeks, sign-ups begin next week and we're going to launch here on the 26th. Um, if you don't have a group of people who are following God that you're a part of, who can speak into your life, whose lives you can speak into, who you can encourage, who, who, can, who you can encourage and who can encourage you, all of that, you're missing out because you don't have what it takes on your own. None of us do. All people need people. And I pity the person who goes down, and we'll all go down, but I pity the person who goes down without people around them. And I don't care how tough you are, how self-reliant you are, how smart you are, or whatever else you are. Well, you might survive. Lots of people survive. But you're not going to thrive outside of community, outside of biblical Christian community. Because, guys, that's, that's where our wounds are healed, in community. That's where our, our needs are met. That's where help is offered. That's where our lives are elevated. But it takes humility to admit you need other people, all people need people it's the way God designed it well Joseph ends up second most powerful person in the world and he lives out what Jesus taught in Luke chapter 14 1700 years later he explains exactly what Joseph experienced and exactly what you will experience if you walk in the path of pride. He says this, for all who exalt themselves will be humbled. Guys, when we live in the path of pride, it's just a matter of time until God will knock your legs out from under you. I know we don't like to hear that, but there's something more significant that you need besides just having everything go right for you. You need to learn this lesson. And he says, those who humble themselves will be exalted. And that's exactly what happened with Joseph. And that is exactly what will happen with you. Prideful people get the smack down. Humble people get a hand up from God. Humility. 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 But there's a second factor that we see in Joseph's life. This humility thing is huge. Really the big point for today is the humility thing. But there's something else that's going on with Joseph. He never gives up. And it's another theme that we will see through Scripture from the beginning all the way to the end. From the Old Testament through the New Testament. Don't give up. Don't give up. Don't give up. It might look hopeless. You might feel completely demoralized, dejected, and can't see a way out. Don't give up. In Ephesians 6, 13, it says, therefore, put on the full armor of God. Why do you need to put on armor? Because we're in a war. 
Hard things are going to happen. It's part of life. So that when the day of evil comes, so that when those things come, you may be able to stand your ground. This is about standing. And after you've done everything to stand, stand firm. Stand. Don't give up. Stand. Don't give up. The hits are going to come. Galatians nine or six nine, Jesus or Paul writing to the church in Galatia says this let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Don't give up. Don't choose to do the wrong thing because you're demoralized. Continue to choose to do the right thing, knowing that God has got the big picture. And trusting that he is going to bring you through. But that takes humility too, doesn't it? I can't control this. God's going to have to work it out. But I'm going to choose to do the right thing. I'm not going to grow weary in doing good. I'm going to continue to do the right thing. The next right thing. The next right thing. The next right thing. Even if I don't feel like it. Because if I do, this season will be over at some point. And I will come through with a stronger character and better integrity and a humble disposition. And I will be ready for the responsibility and the task and the assignment that God has for me, just like Joseph. Good things are coming, but humility will enable you to continue to keep going and to keep doing the next right thing. I know there are some of us right now, you're in, a, in your marriage, you're in a season that feels like a prison. It's a very difficult place to be. Know that 99% of marriages, at some point you're going to wake up, look at each other and go, oh, I feel like we've made a terrible mistake here. (laughs) Because marriage is hard. Marriage is like one of the most wonderful things in the world, but it is also one of the most difficult things in the world. Christy and I will have been married for 20 years in May. And and we are, uh, thank you. Um, Yay, Christy. It's all her, by the way. and, and we have, I mean, it is, our love and our relationship is so much stronger now than it was on the day that we were married. And we've had our moments, as I'm sure you have. But I know there are some of us who are in that season right now and you're like, I mean, how long? I don't know if I can keep going. And I'm telling you, if you will both commit to learning humility, to out-humble one another, you will find your way through. You will find your way through. And there is so much good and depth and beauty on the other side. Don't give up. Don't give in. Keep going. Because those who humble themselves and don't give up will see God come through. Those who humble themselves and don't give up will see God come through. And listen to me. Listen. Humility is not, oh, I'm, I stink, I'm terrible. That's false humility. Humility is thinking of yourself less. It's not thinking less of yourself. It's knowing where God is in the cosmos, where you are in the cosmos. Like, and the seven billion other people around, you're not the center of the universe. Humility is just understanding that. Humility is being okay being tree number four when it's time to be tree number four. And okay doing whatever else God asks you to do along the way. Learn this lesson and never give up. 
Never give in. Keep going. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you, God, that you have a plan and a purpose for each one of us. Lord, and for, for whatever that is, I pray that you would prepare us. You would prepare our lives, our characters. And, and in the meantime, Lord, you always use the crucible to, to teach us the, the difficult things, to form us. And God, I pray that we could embrace that, that we could lean in, that we could learn fast. And that the seasons of trial and trouble and adversity would be short. But in the meantime, Lord, however long they are, that we would trust you. That we would understand where we are in the, the greater order of things. We would understand this humility, peace, God. And that you would give us the strength, the joy, and the life in all of its fullness that comes from not being the center of our universe or yours. So help us to live this way, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for joining us here at The Vineyard. It's our greatest desire to see you find and follow God, and we hope that this podcast has helped you do just that. In addition to these podcasts, please come visit us live at the Capitol Theater in downtown Wheeling, Sunday mornings at 9.30 and 11.15, and experience these encouraging messages, some incredible music, and so much more in person. We would love to meet you. Again, thanks for joining us this week. We'll see you next time.